As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. My name is Ariel. I moved to the U.S. at 19. I spoke no English, and I struggled finding job opportunities. Everything I have, I owe to the Adult Literacy Center and getting my high school diploma at age 22. It was an honor helping you achieve your greatness. Now you're helping others achieve theirs. It inspires me. When you graduate, they graduate. Find free and supportive adult education centers near you at finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. Hey everyone, this is Molly and Matt, and we're the hosts of Grown Up Stuff How to Adult, a podcast from Ruby Studio and iHeart Podcasts. It's a show dedicated to helping you figure out the trickiest parts of adulting. Like how to start planning for retirement, creating a healthy skincare routine, understanding when and how much to tip someone, and so much more. Let's learn about all of it and then some. Listen to Grown Up Stuff How to Adult on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search Grown Up Stuff. Grown Up Stuff. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Ray Harkins, and you are listening to 100 Words or Less, the podcast. Happy 2018, and I hope you're doing well. I apologize because uh, this episode is late, and that's my fault. It's just been so hectic around my life that I uh, couldn't get this out the door, and I'm sorry for that. And I also did not release a bonus episode like I promised I would have done. And um, yeah, I'm just uh, I'm just failing right off <laughs> right out the gate in 2018. But um, yeah, we're back on track. All right, I promise everything will be moving forward as smoothly as possible. And uh, the guest this week is Ricky Singh. He is the guitarist for Backtrack, and which is a great hardcore band, and they have a new record out on Bridge Nine, and you need to listen to that. And uh, it was just a great chat, super fun conversation. Um, he is from a family, uh, well, I mean, technically we're all immigrants, but uh, he's a first generation here in America, if I re- recall our conversation directly. But anyways, we talk about that. We talk about a bunch of other fun stuff, and he does a lot of cool behind-the-scenes music industry stuff as well. And um, yeah, it was a great, great chat, and I loved it, and I am excited to bring it to you. Uh, noecho.net. If you're not visiting them for your daily dose of hardcore punk content, then you're missing out. Go do that, please. And, um, I have to tell you about Rockabilia. Rockabilia Rockabilia.com is a, basically your best source for all things that are band merch related. Whether it's you need a new uh, At The Gates t-shirt, At The Drive-In, what, I, I don't know why I'm just going off of ats. Maybe I'll just go in alphabetical order, but they, they uh, are the best spot to buy officially licensed merchandise. It's definitely not one of those things in which you, you know, you're, you're buying off of, you know, Amazon, some bootleg thing. It's like, no, this is the real deal. Uh, Rockabilia is incredible. And um, yeah, I want you to visit them. Okay. So rockabilia.com, tell them that uh, 100 Words Podcast sent you and uh, you'll be able to get some new band merch, right? That just works out for everybody. So that's that. And um, yeah, like I said, Bricky, great conversation. And uh, here it is. Okay. I'll talk to you after the episode is over. You know, I, I I got keyed into backtrack via um, you know when you guys partnered with my you know close friend Joey for six one three one and putting out your yep. first seven inch on him. 
Um, and then, you know, we were, uh, you know, fate threw us together again in uh, 2011 when, uh, you know, the, the worst day of my life at Sound and Fury <laughs> having to cancel. <laughs> and it, it, it was always weird because, like, you know, I didn't know any of you guys at all. Like, you know, Joey was was the one who had the relationship with you guys. And it, it like, yeah. I, I never... I never personally looked, I mean, not like it was your guys's quote unquote fault. You just happened to be the band that was playing when that all went down. Yeah. But yeah. like I, in my own head, I, I always think where it's just like, man, in some weird way, I should probably like not like these dudes just because they're attached to like <laughs> such a brutal memory of mine. Yeah, no, I mean, that's completely understandable. And I'm surprised that more people didn't resent us for that, but it actually it was fine. Like nobody really, gave us too much shit you know or pretty much everybody forgot about it after like a year you know nobody even brings that up anymore it's funny i know it's true and i mean i'm very thankful for that so i don't have to like relive that traumatic memory or anything but it is uh yeah it is interesting (laughs) and cut cut on that same point where i always viewed backtrack as you know you guys are a very interesting band because you you know while you did you know get a lot of uh, attention you know as you started to kind of come up and you know touring on a more national level it never felt yeah. it never felt like you guys you know jumped into that um you know that that level of bands that you know i mean you and i have seen this time and time again within the hardcore scene where a band is hot for like a year and a half and then all of a sudden people are just like Wait, I know I don't like that band anymore, and they completely move on, and they like the band can't even like release more music or like have anybody show up at their shows. Like you guys never went into that, and I don't use the word like flash in the pan lightly. Like you guys didn't do that. Um, have you kind of noticed that about yourself, or is that something that you know um, I'm just anecdotally bringing up? Uh, well, hold on. Sorry, are we are we are, are we locked and loaded? Are we going already? Oh, we're going, my friend. We are de- we are deep. Oh, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> Okay. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure. Um, I think, I mean, there's always up and down tours and, you know, like you, you can, ex- sometimes you expect something to be great or, you know, you expect something to be a little weird, but I think for the most part, you know, we've, we've be able, been able to hold, hold our own like over the, the past few years, you know, um, and it's been a blessing, you know, um, but th- I think the, the most important part of it is that, you know, you kind of not have to like burn yourself out and um you know you have to pick tours wisely and and pick what you're doing wisely you know so for for us that was uh that was an important thing that we kind of like planned certain things out for a while and and that helped for sure yeah no that's a really good point because you do feel like when you get into this like momentum of like oh we have to you know, here's a tour that who knows if we say no to this, if it will ever come back. And like, you know, you feel like you have to say yes continually in order to, you know, feed the machine or whatever, or, you know, like otherwise, otherwise then you feel like if you say no and that tour ends up being like the best thing that has ever happened for the band that took it instead of you, you feel, you know, stupid in some respects. Yeah. I mean, there's not too many regrets that I have with like what we've done. Um, throughout our the band's career, I guess, but it's more so, I mean, there's some things that I may not have, I may have thought would have went better or would have, you know, done worse or this, that, the other thing. So it's, it was still a lot of trial and error, um, earlier on, but I think once we got a, a better grasp of everything, it was, you know, easier to decide like, all right, let's try doing this or, you know, let's base our tour around this or these bands or who we want to, you know, do something with or this, that, the other thing, you know? 
<clears throat> yeah, no, that's very interesting. And I mean, it's cool that you had um, a perspective on it because I do think that, you know, due to, you know, either whether it's like, you know, age or youthful exuberance, like you, you feel like, you know, you can burn the candle at both ends and that will never uh, come back to, you know, bite you in the butt. But, you know, it, it does eventually to where you're just like, wait, I've been on the road for like two years and like, I don't ha- I literally have nothing to like show for it besides like cool experiences and cool tours. But like, I don't even have, I don't even have an idea of what I'm doing next year. Like this is terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's definitely been, you know, times where we've felt like that. I mean, we did go hard for a long period of time. And I think within the past, like two or three years, we kind of took the backseat a little bit with, you know, especially with touring. Um, but it helped us very much. So like focus on, recording and and writing and um kind of like what we wanted our next step as a band to be so i think that was really important and kind of just like let things flow organically instead of being like you know hey you know i want to get another record out in two years or you know i wanted to come out by this show or this tour you know instead of kind of using like you know things going on around us as like um reasons why is, is more so just like, no, let's, let's write this record and, and kind of let it flow organically into what we exactly want it to be and, and not let any outside things, um, influence that. And that's what we did. So, yeah, no, that's, that, that's sick to be in, a, in that position. And I love, I mean, this is something I was going to bring up later, but you know, you, you guys exist, uh, in what I like to call the part-time full-time band scenario, which exists now where it's like, you know, you guys do the stuff that makes sense for you, but you're not out there, you know, you have, you have to be on tour 250 days out of the year or whatever, you know? Um, and it's cool because I think that does your experience in your, you know, day-to-day life is going to make you more valuable as a band member in regards to either your creative output or the fact that, you know, Vitalo can write lyrics that aren't just like, Hey, this is what it's like being on the road. It's like, yeah, that's what happens when you have a, you know, four months to write a record you're just going to talk about being on tour yeah yeah i mean i know especially for him that's something he's brought up that you know it was it was like a central part of him what he was able to write for this record was those life experiences that you know he's had these couple of years that we weren't on the road you know 200 days out of the year so it, I, I definitely agree you know it's important I, I wouldn't give back the amount of touring that we did and like all the incredible experiences and bands that we got to play with but um i do enjoy like the freedom of like being home and and like you know spending more time with my family and my friends you know but still being able to have that creative creative outlet with backtrack and and like you know other endeavors in my life yeah absolutely that's rad so kind of you know focusing on you as a person were you born and raised in long island or where did you kind of come up um I was born in uh, Queens, Flushing, Queens, and like, uh, you know, a one-bedroom apartment with my family, my mom, my dad, my brother, um, and then around the ages, or yeah, around like four or five years old, we moved to Long Island, and that's where I spent like, you know, most of my life, uh, you know, up till high school, and then that's, right after high school is kind of right when I started touring more, uh, and um yeah, so that's and then now I I live in the city after uh, as of like you know a year or two. So 
Got it. Yeah. So ba- yeah. basically, all you covered all the uh, you know the essential boroughs of New York City. Where you've you've lived in Queens, you've lived in uh, you know the Long Island experience, and then you you've lived the uh, the true Manhattan experience. Yeah, uh, Brooklyn, but yeah. Oh, Brooklyn. Yeah, Close sorry, enough, sorry. So. Yeah, one stop away. <laughs> totally. Close enough. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, so you mentioned your family structure. You know, your mom and dad, and you, an older brother, or younger brother. Older brother. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, it sounds like a very, you know, kind of tip, typified New York city, you know, life as far as a working class family, I'm guessing. So like, you know, what, what does your parents do for a living and, you know, to kind of put food on the table? Yeah. I mean, it's, they have an interesting story and it's like, you know, the older I get, the more I find out about how kind of like hard it was for them. And, you know, it's, it's very inspiring to me. Um, I'm, I'm essentially like, you know, the first person in my family born in America, um, they were, you know, they're, my whole family's Indian and they were all born in India for the most part. Um, my brother too. And then around the early eighties, they came to the U S and, um, <clears throat> you know, they were like grinding when they came here, you know, super, super hard. My dad told me like, I think a year or two ago that he, he used to like be one of the guys on 40th street, um, like handing out flyers when he first got here, which is like crazy to me to think, for, to think about, you know, I pass those people every single day when I'm going to work. Right. And, uh, my mom was like a cashier, um, at just like a, like a clothing store in Manhattan too. Um, and then they basically just busted their ass for, for years. And, and essentially my dad got into logistics and he started a, uh, like a trucking business. And my mom started going to school and, uh, for nursing. So my mom's, um, a registered nurse now. And my father still has his business, uh, you know, trucking business, basically, you know, uh, getting shipments from, you know, picking up air shipments and delivering them to whatever client companies he has or doing warehouse to warehouse deliveries and, and just being able to kind of coordinate that. And, uh, so that's what he's been doing for, you know, 20, 30 years at this point. Yeah. No, that's very, that's very cool. And so you were, um, was it, was your brother born in India or was he born here as well? Yeah, he was born in India and, and he like, you know, uh, he came over with my family and, uh, and yeah, so like, you know, he was kind of like the person that a little bit like kind of when I started listening to music a bit more, I was kind of just like hearing what he was listening to, which was like a mix of like alternative music, like Nirvana and, and things like that. And, and then a lot of hip hop too, like, Gangstar, Mob Deep, and New York—a lot of New York early '90s shit. That's very cool. I, yeah, I mean, the, the reason I bring that up is because I mean, I knew bits and pieces of your, you know, your, uh, you know, cultural upbringing and stuff like that. And you know, clearly, most of you know the independent music scene is, you know, is basically just suburban white people, you know, males and females. And so, yeah. I always like it when a person such as yourself, who you know, not only can offer up different experiences in general, but um, you know, you, I, I'm sure once you started to bring home this music that was, you know, pretty different than, you know, what your parents have ever experienced, like, you know, how did they react as like, Hey, Ricky's bringing home this like yelling music. Like what, this doesn't make any sense to me. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, they, they weren't like, they weren't like scared of it or thought it was like insanely weird. But I mean, I think they were just like, you know, this is what I'm getting into. This is like, just the way it is, you know, just being in America alone for them, I'm sure it was like just a completely different experience for them. So having their son being born here 
and kind of like it's like them kind of assimilating to the culture of you know the U.S. in in a way. Um, but my dad was like supportive too. Like I remember those like those like one cent CD scams that is ten like ten cents and you get ten CDs or something. Yeah. You remember those old like oh yeah Columbia Columbia House and whatever Columbia, yeah. yeah Columbia House shit yeah like I remember one time he uh, he just ordered like ten different CDs that like uh, were on there just completely different genres. So he got me everything from crisscross which i loved that was like one of, that was like the first cd that i fucking was yeah. like jumping up and jumping on my bed with my clothes backwards on like around to and then and but he also got like vulgar display power somehow which is like <laughs> insane to me that like that was in there and i didn't even like appreciate it like at that age i was so young but i listened to it you know right like even like he got like george michael and like he got like tons of different stuff and i i would just you know sit next to the speakers and listen to that stuff and i was like you know kind of just learning you know a little bit and and having those little pieces in my head um but it's yeah. super interesting they were they've always been supportive you know i think it got to a point where backtrack started touring a lot and they were kind of like well what's up with college you know and and that was something that i was putting off for a bit um because i enjoyed playing music so much and i did want to you know do it to somewhat of a professional level but um eventually they realized like you know this is what I, I, this is what my passion is. And this is what I love doing. And, and that, I think that once they like, it really clicked with them, they like completely got off my back. But I mean, there was definitely a, a few years there where it was like a little tough, you know, between us, um, for them to kind of grasp what I was doing. But I, once they saw like, you know, we were going to fucking like China and shit, they were like, all right, like, you know, he's obviously doing something cool for him <laughs> to be able to go to all these places that we haven't been. So, you know, maybe he's doing something right, you know? Yeah, totally. It is funny when you can bring those like little pieces of legitimacy to, um, you know, your parents and have them understand something where you're just like, wait, I, I don't like, you're not played on the radio, but yet you can tour across the country or you can do these other things that, you know, I guess normal bands do, but like your band is yelling. I don't understand. Like there's just a juxtaposition that they try to understand. I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, they, they've come to a couple of shows and they're like, what the hell's going on? You know? They like saw us because um, they they were in Jacksonville one time. This was early on uh, in Backtracks, like touring, and it was my twenty first birthday. And they came. They they like uh, my uncle lives in Jacksonville, so they came out to visit him. And they all came to the show, and it was it was hilarious uh, for them to be there and and see Madball and us. And it was just interesting, you know. <laughs> totally, yeah. It is. Yeah. It is always eye opening for uh, for parents to be able to watch their something that they inherently don't understand, but like clearly they love you and want to support you. But then it's just like you know, <clears throat> parents couldn't stick out more like a sore thumb at you know basically any all ages venue across the country where it's just like yeah oh okay this is a this is an interesting scenario that they're watching yeah <laughs> absolutely you know they they like stage diving freaks them out like my mom's a nurse and shit too so she's like what the hell's going on like <laughs> somebody's gonna get hurt you know totally but uh yeah i mean but at the same time they're super supportive and they always like show their friends and family like you know videos of us playing and like my dad like he kind of like brags about it at certain times my mom will tell me which is funny you know um because i'm definitely not on some like crazy rock star shit at all you know i'm not on the radio or anything but he just, you know, they're, they've learned to be super supportive and really embrace it, which is like special to me and makes me feel like 
I'm doing something cool, you know? Yeah, totally. Because I, I think at the end of the day, the the thing that they, you know, most people, you know, devoid of actually liking the music because, you know, most, you know, parents wouldn't understand that aspect of it, but they understand the fact that, you know, this is getting a reaction from, you know, either, you know, kids at the show, stage diving and whatever, but then seeing that, like, you know, you don't have to be, you know, a quote unquote rock star to affect people. It's like, you can be in these yeah. rooms and have this like genuine interaction. And, you know, I think anybody can look at that and be like, oh, wow, like that... So you actually like like my son's band and he plays guitar like at your face and like that's fine. <laughs> it's like yeah, that's, yeah, that's yeah. what I like. No, it's it's definitely really cool. And I think with things like YouTube and and you know just having more visuals online, it's easier for them to like just look up stuff sometimes. And you know, my dad will like see a video on YouTube or somebody in my family will say that like they saw something on YouTube and like they didn't realize you know it was like there's that many kids coming to see our band and stuff or, you know, and then sometimes I'll go home and my dad will like be wearing, you know, different backtrack merch. And I, I think it's fucking hilarious. I'll just see him like shoveling snow with a backtrack beanie on. And I think it's like the cutest thing in the world. You know, he's, he's super supportive. Yeah. That's super exciting. That's awesome. Um, and so you know, what kind of kid did you find yourself being as you started to, you know, once you guys moved out to long Island and you started to, you know, be your own individual in junior high and high school, um, you know, you, we were joking about this before I started to record, you know, you've always struck me just kind of, you know, existing in the same rooms. Like, you know, you're a, a pretty chill dude. Like you definitely aren't, um, I guess kind of a stereotypical New Yorker in the sense of like, you got a short fuse or anything like that. I could be completely, mis- yeah. I could be completely mischaracterizing you, but, um, have no, you, no, no. Have you always been kind of that, um, you know, sort of even keeled person? Um, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, I, I was a bit, I think I was more outgoing when I was younger. Um, I don't know. I kind of introverted, uh, you know, later on, but I think, um, I don't know. Growing up on Long Island was really cool. There was a lot of, a lot of cool movements going on on Long Island. Like when I was growing up. Um, and I guess when I first like started listening to punk music and, and that being a gateway to hardcore and, and everything else, you know, um, it was super exciting and, and being on Long Island where there was an explosion of like bands, like, you know, everything from Glassjaw and, uh, you know, Kill Your Idols to bands like Taking Back Sunday and Brand New and, and From Autumn to Ashes and stuff like that. It was, it was a very exciting place to be living, um, you know, in junior high and, and high school because of, you know, just the amount of attention and the, and the diversity in, um, these bands, you know, and help having those bands like kind of just help shape my taste um, in that era, you know? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, yeah, Long Island was such an interesting, um, I mean, like I, when I was touring with Taken, we played a decent amount of shows out there because we had, we were friends with uh, This Day Forward and From Autumn to Ashes. And so we played like, you know, Backstreet Blues and God, some yep. other, and we played with, you know, all the minor yeah. princes, but I just always, um, yeah. all the shows that I played out there, I always marveled at like how, you know, different the band sounded and just like how, um, stylistically, like the kids that showed up to a show, you know, you make the assumption where it's just like, oh man, this dude in, you know, a mad ball Jersey is not going to like, like, you know, my band or this other quote unquote soft sounding band, but then like they do. And I'm just like, I guess, I guess you could just attribute that to the melting pot that is New York city and long Island. But it, it, you know, I can imagine the excitement that you had as you started to kind of, um, you know, explore yourself and realize like, yeah, I can like this and not 
you know, and not feel like, you know, like it's a guilty pleasure or weird about the fact that you like a pop punk band and also like a hardcore band or whatever. Yeah, not at all. To me, like, to me, it was all just music that I thought was cool. Um, you know, you could go to a show and there'd be the mix, the bills were missed a lot of the times. And that was helpful in shaping my musical taste, you know, like, um, Glashaw could be playing with the movie life and they could all be playing with like, and those goldfish or something like a ska band or some shit, you know what I mean? So it was super interesting to kind of just like be able to take that all in at a young age and, and, and kind of just find out about different styles of music that I wasn't as from, you know, super insanely familiar with. Yeah, no, that's super. That's, that's really exciting. Um, and did you, I guess once you started to, you know, go to shows and start to experience the more, you know, independent subculture, actually, before I get there, I wanted to note um, something that I, I recognized in some of your other interviews and where, you know, you were mentioning, you know, as you started to get into, you know, compilations like, you know, Punkorama and, you know, the fat record yeah, stuff, like, you know, that was, oh, dude, it's unbelievable. And, yeah. But it's funny because I didn't really think about it in those terms of what you were saying with like, you know, Columbia House, like that you know, that essentially was like, you know, predated comps because like all you did was just pick random stuff and like you had no idea, like, you know, you either it was your parents or like it just existed, but like, you know, yeah, you could listen to like Megadeth and Criss Cross all in one sampling or whatever, yeah. but it's just so yeah, weird. Yeah, that's like its own, that's its own compilation right there, you know what I mean? It's like, that's like, I guess my real first compilation is just 12 different crazy cds you know right. phil collins was I remember my dad that got phil collins uh or genesis was one of them too like I, I was listening to all this crazy shit and i was like what the hell is, you know didn't know what to make of any of it but it was just interesting to think about now especially yeah no that's that's super exciting um and so but yeah like but, yeah, the, the, the comp the, stuff yeah going a little bit more on that yeah punkorama was the one i remember is punkorama 4 um and it had like the i think it was called straight out of the pit and uh, there's this little kid with like a black eye on it and he would just look crazy. Um, and that was the one that really kind of drew me in. And that's like, as soon as I got that, I showed all my friends too. Uh, and it kind of helped some get some of them into it too, which was exciting because we were all kind of discovering all of these things together. Um, but that one, I, yeah, it had like no effects. Um, Pennywise, I think H2O, I think Gnostic Front. But to me, it was all just the same shit. I didn't know if something was hardcore or if something was punk rock or if something was like, you know, uh, skate punk or pop punk or whatever the fuck, it, it all just was like one thing to me at that time, you know? Yeah. Oh, totally. And I, I think that's, I, I always re- like highlighting those moments in people's lives on this particular show because I, I, I love the notion of listening to something devoid of context, you know, because like you don't care when you're that age, you're just listening to it because, you know, it's on this thing and it, you know, is aligned with other bands you may like or whatever. And you just listen to it and you're like, Oh hell yeah. I like this band that like maybe everyone else just totally hates, but you're like, well, I thought, I thought it sounded cool. <laughs> yeah. And to be honest, like I think more so than ever, I'm more like that person now in my life than I think I ever was back. You know what I'm saying? 29 year old me is, this, is very similar in like, just like not giving a shit what anybody else thinks or, or like, you know, what other people listen to, um, and just trying to discover and like find stuff and, and not, you know, take the outside world's uh, perspective on certain things and just finding shit my, on my own, you know? And I think I'm more like that 
uh, 12-year-old or 11-year-old more so now than I was, you know, 10 years ago or yeah. five years ago. No, that's that's awesome. And I think I, the only difference that I would, I, I guess, uh, contribute is the fact that, you know, you, as you get older, you have to try harder to have that, that you know, I guess, innocent frame of mind, you know, because, you know, when you're that age, you, you don't have any choice, but like now, because you're, an yeah. adult, you know, you're an adult and you can have, you know, all of this stuff at your fingertips and you can choose what you want to listen to at any given moment. Um, you know, you have to try harder to have that mindset. So it's cool that you're approaching it from that standpoint. Yeah. I just love the the innocence and just, just the, the happiness of like enjoying something that I found without, you know, any preconceived notions or enjoying something that I, that everybody around me says sucks. You know, I, I love that feeling too, you know? Um, so yeah, I don't know. I, that's, that's kind of where I'm at with that. Yeah, <laughs> no, no, it's beautiful. And it, this is kind of tangential to that. Like the, you know, I always try to look at, um, you know, contextually, like what we were joking about where, you know, Columbia house, you know, predated comps and then, you know, comps were so huge and, you know, now, uh, you know, comps don't exist because, you know, CDs just frankly don't sell as well. And, you know, the, the main uh, arbiter of musical taste now is, you know, playlists on Spotify or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. you, you know, and, and that's that's kind of what I would view as like the quote unquote modern day comp is playlisting, right? Yeah. I, I mean, I even can, I would even take it a step further and say playlisting is even kind of what it, it's kind of changed radio. I think, Playlisting is a new radio to me, you know, um, and it's it's definitely shifted. You know, I, I think more people are discovering music from playlists than they would on the radio, for sure. Yeah, totally. No, that, that's a, that's a very good point. I mean, yeah, it's just I, I always try to um, you know because when you're looking at you know the music industry in the context of you know what people like you and I do, where you know we worked in the industry for a while, is like you try to get at the core of why it is that people are consuming music the way that they do. And, you know, if you look at it from, you know, the comp standpoint, it's like, that's the perfect, you know, jumping off point. And then like playlisting is the same thing where it's like, if you're a 13 year old and you don't have any idea, you know, you don't have a record store to go to, to point you in the right direction. You hopefully have, you know, this playlist to hopefully guide you in the right direction. Absolutely. You know, you could be 13, but you could also be 45 in the Midwest and like not know, you know, you're just a working class person. You're working every day. You don't, you don't have time to fucking go on like, you know, this person or that person's website, tastemaker type shit and, and find out about stuff. So you'll, you know that you like, uh, indie music and you know that like you like this one band. So you can go on some indie music playlist and find, you know, a hundred bands that may be up your alley or go on Spotify title, Apple music, look at the related artists for this artist and, you know, find so much music that way. So, you know, I think it's, it's, it's definitely an incredible time to be able to discover because I think you can do it so much easier now than ever. Um, so, so it's exciting, you know, the show is sponsored by better help. We all carry around different things that stress us out, right? Like maybe it's something really, really small, like, man, that parking space, it's always taken. And I wish that I would be able to like get it instead of, you know, this person that maybe, you know, is the most courteous and considerate. 
I know that's something very random, but it's true. We all experience different things throughout the day that trigger us in so many different ways. And there are many times where I have been like, I wish that I had a a spot or a repository for me to, you know, get this stuff off of my chest. Because if you bottle it up, that is no bueno. And then all of a sudden you explode on a coworker or a friend or a family member being like the parking spot. And people are like, what are you talking about? That is where therapy comes in. And I love working with BetterHelp because I'm a huge advocate for therapy, broadly speaking. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, please give BetterHelp a try. It is so easy because it's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you do is fill out a brief questionnaire, and then you get matched with a licensed therapist. And if you are not vibing with the therapist for any reason, you can switch it out at no additional charge. Get things off of your chest with BetterHelp. So visit BetterHelp.com slash Ray today to get 10% off of your first month. That's BetterHelp.com slash Ray. Snakes, zombies, sharks, heights, speaking in public... The list of fears is endless. But while you're clutching your blanket in the dark, wondering if that sound in the hall was actually a footstep, the real danger is in your hand when you're behind the wheel. And while you might think a great white shark is scary, what's really terrifying and even deadly is distracted driving. Eyes forward. Don't drive distracted. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Hey everyone, this is Molly and Matt, and we're the hosts of Grown Up Stuff How to Adult, a podcast from Ruby Studio and iHeart Podcasts. It's a show dedicated to helping you figure out the trickiest parts of adulting. Like how to start planning for retirement, creating a healthy skincare routine, understanding when and how much to tip someone, and so much more. We're back with season two of the podcast, which means more opportunities to glow up and become a more responsible and better adult, one life lesson at a time. And let me just tell you, this show is just as much for us as it is for you. So let's figure this stuff out together. This season, we're going to talk about whether or not we're financially and emotionally ready for dog ownership. We're going to figure out the benefits of a high yield savings account. And what exactly are the duties of being a member of the wedding party? All that plus so much more. Let's learn about all of it and then some. Listen to Grown Up Stuff How to Adult on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Grown Up Stuff. We have a new partner in the show, and that is an amazing website called Tripping.com. So everybody books travel, right? Like whether you're in a touring band or whether you're doing a vacation with the family. I recently just got back uh, from a trip to Orlando and, uh, you know, did uh, did the whole Disney World thing. And um, travel is only as successful as the plans you put into it. Because, I mean, you know, yes, you can go to a place and have some random fun and what have you, but... When you are super stressed out about like, oh my gosh, is this like the best place to stay or, you know, all this stuff that goes into planning a trip, tripping.com will make it so much easier for you. So you can spend less time planning and more time chilling out and relaxing with tripping.com. It is the number one site for vacation rentals trusted by millions and millions of travelers featured in New York Times, which I read daily, Travel and Leisure, Forbes, and a ton of other places. So with tripping.com, it lets you search so many sites and it makes it so much easier for you to find your vacation rental. So 
10 million available properties on trusted sites like Verbo, TripAdvisor, Booking.com, and it filters it all in there for you. So don't wonder if you're getting the best deal on that cabin or beachfront home. You'll save an average of 18% per night by booking your vacation with Tripping.com. So please don't forget if you want to save time and money while booking the perfect vacation rental for your next trip, head to Tripping.com slash words today. That's Tripping.com slash words. Trust me. It takes all the guesswork out. You just basically pop in the city. Yo, let's do this. Book it. You're in. And your trip is going to be awesome. So tripping.com slash words. Okay? Please do that. Trust me. So much easier than going to 9 million websites. Okay? Tripping.com slash words. Do it up. Circling back to the idea of once you start to get exposed to, you know, shows and, and start to experience more of what your local scene was in Long Island, did, were you immediately taken by the fact that you wanted to, you know, play guitar in a band or was that something that, you know, you had to, I guess, warm up to the idea of? No, I was definitely like drawn to it immediately. As soon as I would see these bands and, and like, you know, there was some younger kids too around, um, but just be able to see bands that didn't seem, you know, they didn't, none of them seemed like rock stars to me, you know, and it made it it made it easier for me to be like, well, you know, I could probably do the same thing and I want to start a band. I want to play music. Um, cause I enjoyed listening to it so much. And, and so event, yeah, early on I, I got a guitar and, um, and just started trying to play along with songs that I would find on my, or, you know, songs that I'd be listening to. And eventually, you know, my other friends started doing the same and, um, we would just, you know, play, start like horrible bands and, and continue just, you know, playing all different types of genres and stuff, whether it be punk, emo, hardcore, whatever. We would just, you know, get together and jam and, and just do that for years and years. And it was, it was a lot of fun, you know? Yeah, no, that's super cool. And the, um, you know, so is, I guess is backtrack like ostensibly your first band or did you play in something prior to that? I played in a few, I feel like, yeah, we, like I said, since I was like 12, we were starting like, you know, a bunch of different bands, but not, nothing ever was a serious band to me, um, up until Backtrack, you know. Got it. But, did, but your, your first, uh, shows were experienced with other bands that you were kind of, you know, messing around with? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <clears throat> up from like 12 until, you know, 20, we were, you know, in bands and just, you know, playing shows or doing whatever, um, but yeah, so, but yeah, Backtrack was kind of like the first one that was, uh, was really, really important to me. Got it. And you, you have to reveal your first band name because I always find those so entertaining. What was the, what was the first, I guess, band oh my that, God. Like, that like, that my like first, had, had a show or whatever? I think my first band, uh, yeah, I was, I think 11 years old and the band was called, uh, the preschoolers and, and instead of a CH, it was a K. <laughs> and uh, instead, of the, instead of the S at the end, it was a Z. Um, but yeah, dude, dude, that is so. I, I, I'm going to guess that you are some uh, some combination of uh, poppy, punky, and also ska. I, I have to believe that one was more. It was it was like I think uh, punk and pop punk. Okay, got it. Yeah, yeah. It's a very that's a very ska yeah. name though with the with the name cha- like the the letter changes. Yeah, it could be seen as that, or it could be like seen as more as on like street punk type shit too. You know? Oh, like, tr- uh, true. You know, because every street punk band's like the or you know sorts of the yeah. exploited or you know what I mean, like shit like that. The casualties. But yes, yeah. I mean, we like drummer had a mohawk. You know, 
we we had some like spiky bracelets and shit. It was cool. Nice, <laughs> nice, nice. Um, and, and did you like you know when you were were starting to kind of you know experiment? I imagine with your you know your looks as far as like you know did you go in like full in head first like you know mohawk like you know liberty spike punk, no. or or were you always kind of just you know dressing like you know maybe kind of how you do now i i wouldn't i wouldn't say i was dressing like the way i, I do now but i don't i never had a mohawk um but yeah i mean we were we like me and my friends were like kind of like the punks in in like middle school you know there's a picture i found from middle school where i was on the football team in middle school i was like one of the running backs too um and it's like the it's like the the eighth grade picture of like the whole you know 2000 and whatever class um and everybody all the football teams wearing their like jerseys and i wasn't wearing my jersey i was wearing like a lesson jake shirt or something and like sitting next to my homies you know it's pretty sick no that's super cool um you know and kind of starting to reflect on your time and, and backtrack um, you know, cause I, I'm not going to take you through the history of the band or anything like that. Cause that's, you know, been pretty well documented, but, um, you know, you, you seem to, you know, be, uh, one of the main sort of, you know, business, uh, voices of the band, you know, between you and, and, and James, your singer. Um, and then obviously the work that you're doing now with, you know, the record label and the, the stuff you're doing at Roadrunner as well. Um, have you, were you always kind of drawn to the business aspect of the band and being like, Oh yeah, I like book of shows and I like being the other guy talking to the record label. Um, or again, was that something that you kind of just, you know, sort of stepped into and learned as you did? I think I was always drawn to that side of it. Um, I kind of like, I think at that point in my life, I, I wanted to always do something in music. I, like right after, um, high school, I went to school for like recording for a bit. Um, but, you know, I just, I ended up, you know, I, I enjoyed it and I learned a lot from it, but I, I realized that that wasn't like kind of the career that I wanted to go down. But, um, on the, just being like on the business side for backtrack and, and some of the other bands too, it's, it was always just, uh, I was always kind of a person that like, I, I wanted to be the person to do things and get things done because in like my head, sometimes I think like, you know, it just, it's easier for me to, to like feel better about something. If I know that I'll take care of it, you know, instead of like worrying if, if somebody's going to do something and I don't want to be annoying to people and be like, Hey, did you get that done? Hey, did you get that done? When are you going to get the, get it done? You know? So for me, it was just like, all right, let me just do it. And I'll make sure that it can get done uh, like appropriately or on time, you know? Yeah. Oh no. It's a, I, I like that. Uh, the way that you viewed it because yeah, uh, some of the times you are just doing it because you know, you're not trying to, you know, be like hungry for power or some weird, uh, you know, uh, weird personality yeah, trait. It's like, I just, I, oh yeah, I can do that. I can take care of that. It's done. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I don't really mind, um, doing it because like while I was doing it, I was learning a lot about the kind of the inner workings of, you know, just how, how labels work and, and, you know, merch deals and, and, and think different things like that, you know, touring, um, dealing with promoters, tour managing, all those things were kind of just learned by just playing in backtrack. And I learned an incredible amount, which I'm super grateful for. Yeah, no, that's really cool. And it, it's so funny too, because you don't, you know, as you're doing these things, you don't, you don't reflect on it as being learning life skills. 
You know, it's not like you're you're yeah. you're settling a show and you're like, oh, you know what? I learned accounting right there. You're like, no, I'm just I just I just needed to get the five hundred dollars for the show or whatever. I know it's it's crazy to think about, but it, those those lessons are like super important and and they've like you know they've helped me down the line incredibly like many times you know so it's i think it's important for especially for like a younger band to kind of like be open-minded and and enjoy meeting people and networking and stuff like that it'll somehow help you down the line you know you shouldn't look at it like well somebody's gonna help me down the line but you should look at it like hey i'm just meeting people and you know maybe one day you know we can work together on a project or this that the other thing you know you never know so it's important i think yeah absolutely and not view relationships as simply transactional you know like oh what what can this person do for me or vice versa absolutely you know i think um like sometimes i wish i got to speak to more of the promoters that did our shows and and kind of get to know them you know um i did for a lot of them but there's some that i haven't and you know that, that would have been good to like just kind of know everybody all around the U S that did our shows. And maybe I could, you know, help a younger band that, you know, was asking me, Hey, who's the guy in Louisville or, or this, that, the other thing, you know? So it's, it's, it's always important to, uh, to kind of just meet people and, and just not be an asshole, I guess. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. You, you, you'd be surprised at how many people don't take that note. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I definitely didn't take that note a couple of times in my life and, you know, come to bite me sometimes but hey you know you you live and learn and you know you learn from your mistakes so yeah shit happens totally check the back seat check the back seat check the back seat gets in your head right good because every year dozens of children are forgotten in the backseat of a car by a parent or caregiver all never thought it could happen to them but with changes in routines distractions or a sleeping child it can happen to anyone parked cars get hot fast and can be deadly so get it in your head Check the back seat. a message from nitsa and the ad council hey everyone this is molly and matt and we're the hosts of grown-up stuff how to adult a podcast from ruby studio and iheart podcasts it's a show dedicated to helping you figure out the trickiest parts of adulting like how to start planning for retirement creating a healthy skincare routine understanding when and how much to tip someone and so much more here's a clip from an upcoming episode featuring the weekly home checks Keyshawn lane that you won't want to miss a common mistake that a lot of people do. They use fabric softener when it's not so great for your clothes. Should we never be using fabric softener? No, you should not ever be using fabric softener. It leaves a deposit on our clothes, which is also left in the machine. And it also makes the clothes highly flammable. Wait, what? (laughs) Yes. What you want to do instead is just use a quarter cup of vinegar. And that'll make them softer? That'll make them softer. And if you wanted some kind of scent, you can use essential oils. Wow, wow, wow. Catch new episodes of Grown Up Stuff How to Adult every other Tuesday on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Grown Up Stuff. It's the Breakfast Club, the world's most dangerous morning show. Hey! Angela E is kind of like the big sister that always pokes you in the forehead. That's not how it goes? That's not how anything goes. Envy's really like a robot. One of the best DJs ever. Believe that. Charlamagne is the wild card. And I'm about to give somebody the credit they deserve for being stupid. I know, that's right. (laughs) What is wrong with you? (laughs) Listen to The Breakfast Club weekday mornings from 6 to 10 on 106.7 The Beat. Columbus is real hip-hop and R&B. What, um, you know, kind of on that same notion, and I generally don't, you know, ask this question, 
but I think it's, uh, you know, it's always illustrative when people have a story that's kind of front of mind where, you know, what, what was something that you did from kind of, you know, the business perspective where, you know, you made an error, you did something stupid where it was like, it doesn't even have to be like something hugely catastrophic, but like, oh man, I made this mistake. And then I totally was able to like learn, you know, something valuable that you still hold on to pretty frequently. Um, it's hard to think of because I normally those things are buried deep, deep, deep in the back of my mind, and <laughs> right, you and don't, don't think re- about it again. Resurface, yeah, don't resurface unless it's brought up. Yeah, um, well, I don't know, something funny that isn't like that insane. It was just, just it's still funny to me to this day. Is that like there was this whole thing? I think like early on when we were starting it, and uh, maybe like 2008 um, on Long Island, where they found this like crazy looking creature like, um, on the beach. Can you hear me? Oh yeah, for sure. No, I think I, okay. I, to- I totally yeah, remember they, that. They, they found this like crazy looking creature on the beast and, um, it was called the Montauk monster. And it was like in a bunch of newspapers and like, it was just like blowing up all over online and stuff. And for some reason I thought it'd be great for backtrack to make a shirt with the Montauk monster on it. And I like had this one kid, I like at that point I didn't know too many people in graphic design or like illustrators or artists or anything. So, but there's this one kid I knew from Detroit that I met like on tour and I had him make this shirt and illustrate what he would thought it would be, um, Montauk monster. And it's literally like the ugliest shirt in the world. And it was like, just, it, it's an embarrassment. It's probably the worst backtrack shirt ever. And recently we were in Tampa and, um, there was somebody at the show that had the shirt somehow. And to be honest, we like straight up burned I'd say like 75 or like 50 to 75% of those shirts. We were just like, dude, we can't have this on anybody's back. But somehow this person had the shirt and, um, I basically asked them politely if they would give me the shirt for an exchange for anything in our merch table. And then, um, I was planning on burning it, but our merch guy really wanted it. And it was the last day of tour. So I gave it to him. Nice. Yeah. You know, sometimes, uh, you think something's going to look really cool or it's a good idea in your head and you know, doesn't translate well. So yeah, no, for sure. Yeah. You definitely, you definitely have to, uh, I, on that same tip, I'll share a, a funny story on my end just because I experienced it this past weekend. So the uh, I, I played in a band after Taken called Makoto. Um, we we definitely were not successful in any stretch of the imagination. And for whatever reason, I was always doing the merch ordering. But um, on a particular um, tour, I gave it to our bass player, who was the graphic designer. And for whatever reason, like keep in mind, we were doing a two-week West Coast tour. The dude ordered like... I don't know, 12 boxes worth of merch. Like he ordered so much merch that like I found it this weekend at a practice space I was using. And I was like, Oh my God, like we still have merch from 2006 that this one dude ordered way too much of. And you're just like, Oh my God. Yeah. You just, those are the mistakes where you're just like, yeah, well, uh, yeah, we're never going to sell that merch. And like, I'm literally, I'm like later on this afternoon, I'm taking it to a salvation army because I'm like, there's no, no one's going to buy this. Like this just needs to be donated at this point. Yeah. I mean, that's like kind of what I was talking about with like, you know, sometimes I'll just do things cause I'm like, you know, scared of what might happen if it gets done a dip, like kind to- of the totally. wrong way. It's, no, it's very true. It's very true. Um, and so and you also, like you mentioned with your, you know, your involvement on the, the, the business side of things, you know, you've, um, how long has flat spot technically been putting out records? Well, essentially like, um, my involvement in Flashbot didn't happen until 2012 or 2013. Okay. But it started with Che 
who uh, started the label. He's from Baltimore, and that's where the label originated. And uh, it started around like 2004, I think. He did a, like a CD for this band, Wheelbite. Um, and I, I think it kind of like took off more once he put out the Trapped in a Rice demo in 2007. That's kind of real, the real, uh, more so like kind of where it really took off, I think. Right, right. And um, so, yeah, you, you kind of came in to, you know, basically, um, you know, help him, I, I guess, I presume probably, you know, just be another voice, help, you know, organize things and, you know, be able to look for, you know, newer bands and stuff like that. I guess what motivated you to, um, I guess, kind of step in and help from, from that perspective? something I always wanted to do. Like, uh, I always, you know, loved just the idea of, of record labels in general and, and kind of like earlier, like how it, I was saying Punkarama, like those labels kind of helped shape my, what I was, my interest and my musical taste at that era. So I thought, it, you know, I was always drawn to them. Um, so it was always something I wanted to do. And like we were touring a lot and we were meeting a lot of different bands and th- I would send a lot of those bands like his way. Um, one, I remember, you know, specifically being minus the first time we went to California, we met those dudes and we hit it off really well. And we, uh, played with them and like they put out, you know, a demo and we all, you know, were in the pit and we thought they were sick. And, um, as soon as I got home, I was like, dude, you need to check out this band minus, like they're incredible. You got to put them out, blah, blah, blah. And he ended up working with them, you know? Um, and that's kind of, and then there was some other things that I would send his way whenever, uh, I could, and then eventually I brought it up to him, like, hey, I would love to, like, help you or or do it with, do the label with you or whatever, and, like, you know, just think about it, and then eventually he's like, yeah, let's do it, so. Nice, that's cool. Um, and, you know, as, as you started to, you know, I, I'm guessing as, you know, Backtrack's touring life started to kind of die down, was that, um, you know, was that a struggle for you to kind of be like, oh, well, what am I going to do to, you know, fill my time and like, where am I going to, you know, occupy myself and what is it that I want to do? Or did you, you know, did you kind of just throw yourself in the fact, I, I know you mentioned that, you know, you were interested in recording bands at one point, um, you know, I guess kind of how did that sort of ping pong around as you started to, you know, focus on what to do when the band isn't out yeah. as much? It kind of, it kind of was like, uh, like a crazy moment for me. Cause I didn't really know it wasn't too vocally spoken that we were going to like slow down or, or this or that or anything. It kind of just happened. But I, I did think that I did think in like the back of my mind that there might be a point where it is. And I, I didn't think backtrack was, you know, going to be a band forever or going to basically like, you know, I can't live off the band. You know what I mean? Essentially like uh money wise, you know? So I knew that I needed some other things, um, going on in my life for me to just kind of be able to live in somewhat of a comfortable way. So, uh, I'd say like kind of during the lost in life record cycle, I started going to school online. Cause I would, I would like see, we, we toured with like trapped in rice in the UK. And I remember seeing Brendan sings in turnstile also, um, on his computer and, and, he was like, you know, doing his schoolwork online and stuff. And I thought it was really cool that he was making the most of his time. And like, you know, Matt from Title Play was doing that too. And I would, I would talk to both of them about it um, when I saw them doing it. And I, and I thought it was super interesting. And it kind of made sense to me to kind of like be doing something instead of just sitting in the van all day, just kind of fucking fiddling around or being on my phone. I kind of wanted to be able to learn, you know, and kind of get my brain back into shape. Um, 
And that kind of, you know, led to me learning a lot more about the inner workings of the business too, which is, which is super helpful. Oh yeah, absolutely. No, it's cool. I didn't know that there, I mean, I, I myself also got a degree online through university of Phoenix, um, primarily just because I, I told my mom after I dropped out of college that I would graduate before I'm 30. So I did that, but I, that, that's <laughs> cool. Go. That's cool. That most that I, I didn't know that it was kind of a, I wouldn't say trend, but people were being productive from, you know, that perspective. That's cool. Yeah, no, I mean, it was a motivating thing seeing other people doing it and, you know, kind of like flick the idea in my brain to maybe be a little bit more productive with, um, with something like that. So, yeah, no, absolutely. That's really cool. Um, and so then, you know, also kind of, you know, focusing on, 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 you know, the work that, cause technically your full-time job, you work at Roadrunner, right? Or is that only sort of a, a side gig or, you know, can you explain that to me? <laughs> It's not like uh, essentially like five days a week, but it is a big portion of what I'm doing right now. Um, and I'm right now for I've been there for about like two, almost like two and a half years, and I'm essentially like a consultant and also and like A and R scout there. So um, yeah, it's, it's an incredible job, and and it's really fulfilling, and I'm really excited and stoked on it still. So. Yeah, no, that's really cool because I mean, essentially, you are you know bringing bands to the table, and like, are you actually? you know, going as far as to, you know, straight up sign bands, like, you know, you do the contract negotiations and stuff, or is that something that gets kind of, you know, hand handed off just because you are technically a consultant? Yeah, well, uh, there's, there's so many people in that building with, because Roadrunner is, is, you know, under Warner music group, which is one of the three major labels, um, that like my, what I'm essentially doing is bringing a band in and kind of like, holding meetings and, and helping them get a like helping the other A&Rs understand what's going on with them and, and bring it to my boss's attention essentially. And then he kind of steps in and, and, and does that work with them to, to help also get them signed and also get the kind of legal team involved. And they're kind of the ones that do the contract and negotiation type stuff. Um, but it's back and forth and, you know, we're, we're still very much a big part of that part of yeah. the, Got it. Okay. Yeah. 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 Only, only reason I asked is, because, I mean, I, you know, I worked at Century Media for about uh, close to ten years doing A and R, but you know, I was a full time. Oh, awesome! I was a full time employee. Gotcha. And I did the, you know, the, essentially what you were doing, except you know, I I saw it all the way to the very end, and I was doing negotiations with lawyers and stuff like that. And so I just always, oh, awesome. it, cool. it's it's cool when, um, you know, I'm able to talk to people who do things that were you know similar to my own experience, but then also different at the same time. And I think it's a uh, you know, I think it's cool because most people look at Roadrunner and, you know, don't recall the fact that it's like, oh, yeah, they're not just a label that put out Nickelback. It's like, yeah, they've had a strong history within the context of punk and hardcore. And, like, it just takes a little, um, you know, research to realize that it's not just this one thing. They are many facets of heavy music. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. It's it's an incredible label. The history is rich in, in hardcore metal, heavy music, aggressive music, you know, bands like, Madball put set it off on Roadrunner, you know, which is one of my favorite hardcore records. And like, a lot of my tastes in the hardcore spectrum were released through their labels, like um, Life of Agony, Biohazard, Madball, uh, Typo, um, and then even on the metal side, Sepultura, Obituary. You know, there's a lot of incredible stuff that they put out, and that's just like scratching the surface, you know. Yeah. Oh, totally. No, it's it's yeah, it's it's cool to be able to you know 
feel like you're putting in these little building blocks of this, you know, legacy that's existed, you know, far before your time there and then will exist far longer after you you've left that company or whatever. It's cool to be like, oh yeah, I had a little uh, little hand in that and that was cool. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm working on working on anything I can do to help right now. So, we'll see how it goes. No, uh, I love it though. It's great. That's cool. So what else is taking up your time from a, um, you know, I mean, like you, you were mentioning with the, our, 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 scheduling conflicts, like, you know, what else do you, do you have kind of a, a nine to five job from that perspective? Um, well, I, well, I'm doing that about like more than half the week, like around three days a week. And then also, you know, going to a ton of shows at nighttime scouting and, and finding different shit or, you know, going to our different artist shows. Um, like this week I'm going to a show every day except for Thanksgiving. Um, you know, and it, it's super busy like this month and next month. But um, I'm also trying to like help transition my dad into retirement because I want him to retire really bad because he's been working his ass off too hard his entire life. So uh, I've been helping manage his company um, usually oh, nice. a couple of days a week. Um, I haven't been doing it the past couple of weeks because I've been like helping focus on the backtrack record. And, and I was like, just kind of helping bridge nine create the rollout and different ideas and marketing plans and stuff for it. And just like, um, doing, doing a lot of that and, and, and planning out some more backtrack stuff for next year. Sure. Um, that, that's cool. So, yeah. Yeah. That's, you're, yeah you're, it's all, uh, you know, kind of combining into this one thing that is, uh, you know, exciting and fun to work on and help and, and be helpful to multiple people. It's cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, there's, I always like, I always like, having a lot of different things going on. Like, you know, also in, in, in this time, like during my normal week, I'll, I'll be working on plasma stuff too. Um, but I like having all these things going on and I don't, I, I never want to be the person that like wears himself too thin amongst all those projects, but so I'll never take on more than I can grasp, but I'm happy with the amount that I have now. And I think it's, it's great because I, there's so many different things I can work on creative, create creativity, uh, create creatively. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, creatively. Yeah. Uh, that, you know, helps fuel a fire, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, the last thing I want to handle before I let you go is the, um, you know, it, it, we were kind of talking about it earlier where, you know, it takes effort, you know, the older you get in that is the older you get when you are attached to something that, you know, is ostensibly a, you know, youth movement and youth culture, um, you know, you can clearly age gracefully within the context of punk and hardcore. Don't need to be, you know, feel like you need to turn in your membership card. But, um, you know, how do you personally, you know, I guess still I care about it, you know, like, how do you kind of keep that fire alive? If like you get stoked and, you know, cause it's easy to get jaded, obviously. Um, yeah, I mean, it's super easy to get jaded. I, I see a lot of different people around me, um, just not give a shit anymore. And, and I mean, there was always like that. There was always going to be kids coming around that, you know, would be there for a year or, you know, you'd be on tour, you see somebody at a show in a city for like a year or two or three and be good friends with them and they'd disappear. Um, but to me, it was never, it was never something that I just had a short interest in a lot of the things, a lot of the interests in my life I've had for a very long time. And especially with hardcore music, it's given so much to me that all I want to do is give back to it, whether it can be, you know, help put out a band's record or, you know, if a younger band hits me up and like, you know, help them be put in contact with, you know, somebody in a city that they're trying to play if they need a promoter or something. 
um, it's important to give back, I, I, I think. And, you know, even from a sense of just the fact that I'm definitely in tune with kind of the younger bands and, and what's going on, I think there's a lot of st- really exciting stuff still. I don't, I don't think that there's stuff that I, I think that there's so much that needs to still be heard. There's so many, like a band like higher power and a band like Bane are, are you know, pushing the boundaries of what people can say hardcore music is to me at least. Um, and I think what they're doing is really cool. And then you have bands like Hangman and freedom that are, are carrying the torch of, you know, what hardcore kind of started as, you know, or what, what it's been for a long time. Um, and then you have turnstile code orange that are, pushing it like in even a bigger way, way bigger level, I think too. Um, and all that's incredibly exciting to me. You know, it, there's nothing that's not exciting about it at all. I think it's, it's fucking fascinating. You know, it's, it's great to see all this shit happening. So. Yeah. Oh, totally. Well, and it's just cool. It, it's cool and exciting that there's a platform in which it, it can exist, you know, because I think the struggle that so many bands felt for, you know, I mean, arguably in the mid nineties when, you know, only a few bands were able to kind of, you know, be successful on a more, you know, mainstream perspective. Um, but now it's like the playing field is pretty level where bands, you know, using a band like Turnstile, where it's just like you, know, you have people from all different walks of life being able to identify with that band because of the fact that it's just good music as opposed to being attached to one scene and only having to stay in that one scene. Yeah, and I think it's important. You know, a lot of these bands are are breaking out and, and touring with, you know, other artists that don't live in the hardcore world, whether it be like code going on tour with like system of the down or, um, you know, just different things like that. Or even like code being on like NXT WWE I mean, playing in front of a stadium full of people at Bar- Barclays center. That was an, an incredible thing to watch. You know, I don't think it's, I don't think hardcore's as, as small as it is in the grand scheme of things. I think, you know, it can still break out, in some regard and um, some of these bands, you know, can break out into, you know, in an even bigger place, which is great. You know, I don't think that the ceiling has to be as low as it is. Um, so it's definitely an exciting time for hardcore music. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's, it's, it's exciting. And it's just cool. Like, cause ultimately I think the, the thing that you want from, you know, people working at labels and people, you know, working with this music, you know, from a management or whatever, you, you want people that care. And cause it's like, you know, you've, I'm sure run across people where it's just like, they're just doing it now because it's a job. You know, they, they may have cared at one point, but now it's kind of just punching the clock. And, you know, it, it, there's something to be said about that. Like as long as people are doing a competent job, but you know, you really want the fire to still live in the people who are, you know, trying to get bands on, on a, on a larger level, you know? Yeah, I, I mean, the fire isn't always going to be like, you know, going hard in every every person, you know, and, and it's not, I think when I was younger, it would, that, that would have annoyed me a little bit if somebody just like, you know, dropped out completely and I just didn't see them or they, I just felt like they were doing it, you know, because they had to. Um, but I mean, I'm just more worried about myself and my family and my friends and, and people around me than worrying about like kind of petty things to me. I think it's like petty if, you know, if you're not going to be friends with somebody or talk to somebody or fuck with somebody, if they don't care about hardcore anymore, I think, you know, yeah, I, I can be friends with, you know, 
Joe Schmo down the block or, or somebody that like, you know, I played in a band with for five years that doesn't listen to hardcore anymore. You know, it's, it doesn't matter to me. I think it's just being a person and, and growing and some people growing entails like leaving hardcore, I guess, you know, so whatever that's, that's fine for me. But to me, I love it and it's very important to me and, and it's going to continue doing that for me. Yeah. And con- continue making me excited and, and I'm still going to be at shows and, you know, this, that, the other thing. Yeah, yeah. No, that's rad. That's, that's, that's awesome, man. Well, Ricky, thank you so much for hanging, dude. I really, really appreciate it. It was fun. Thanks for having me on the podcast, man. I love this podcast. I'm stoked to be on it. Hi. Yes, that was great, right? So much fun. I love that chat. And uh, thank you very much, Ricky, for coming on the show. Um, I really appreciate uh, you hanging out and making time out of your day because I know uh, you're a busy dude. So um, that, that's what we got for that. How about next week? Next week is such a good chat that I had with Nikki Palmero, or otherwise known as Nikki Money, from Nothing and Horror Show and Death to Lovers. He is a uh, musical hustler. And um, yeah, it's great. So much fun. So that's what we got next week. And uh, until then, please be safe, everybody. You've been listening to the Jabberjaw Podcast Network, jabberjawmedia.com. The show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Trust me in saying that no matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all of the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. My simple solution to the problem was remove people from the scene and help them feel safer. In response to attacks against Asian Americans, Maddie Park raised over $250,000 to donate cab rides to the Asian community. There is so much more work to be done. We really need to come together and tackle this issue as a community. Support the Asian community. Learn how at lovehasnolabels.com. Brought to you by Love Has No Labels and the Ad Council. Hey everyone, this is Molly and Matt, and we're the hosts of Grown Up Stuff How to Adult, a podcast from Ruby Studio and iHeart Podcasts. It's a show dedicated to helping you figure out the trickiest parts of adulting. Like how to start planning for retirement, creating a healthy skincare routine, understanding when and how much to tip someone, and so much more. Let's learn about all of it and then some. Listen to Grown Up Stuff How to Adult on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search Grown Up Stuff. Grown Up Stuff.